Hi everyone, I'm Debbie Roberts from Property Apprentice. Join me today for the Week in Review, where we talk about current events for the everyday investor and home buyer. Our topics for this week, first up, from staff on the 18th of October, investors requiring mortgages for their next home are the least active in 20 years. Second topic for this week, we've got one roof on the 19th of October, do Aucklanders drive up house prices in the regions? Third topic from New Zealand Herald on the 19th of October, home buyers potentially paying $500 more per week in interest repayments. Fourth topic from RNZ on the 19th of October, labour market sets property downturn apart from 2008 global financial crisis. And last but not least on landlords.co.nz from the 19th of October, how costs compare between different landlords. So we'll start with topic number one from Stuff on the 18th of October. Investors requiring mortgages for the next home are the least active in 20 years. CoreLogic data showed that investors who need mortgages to buy their next property are the least active group in the property market, with the lowest market share since data was first collected in 2003. Of all of the properties sold in September, investors comprised only 20% of the buyers. In September the year before, this group made up 23% of purchases. So to be fair, it is only a 3% decrease. CoreLogic Head of Research Nick Goodall points to falling house prices, higher interest rates and stricter lending criteria introduced by the triple CFA as major reasons for the decline. The article stated that the weak market activity suggests that the phase out of mortgage deductibility introduced by the government is creating its desired effect. My opinion is that it's more likely to be the higher interest rates and the corresponding higher test rates that the banks are using that's making it harder to get lending, and that's having the greatest effect on this group, as most experienced investors would prefer to buy property in a slow property market than in a booming market where there's more competition from other buyers. However, the increased interest rates combined with the tax changes has certainly had an impact on cash flow for investors. The government's effort to steer investor money towards buying new builds also appears to be working, the article says. Goodall believes that the new build market is still attractive for investors as they continue to write off their interest costs. My opinion is that even with the tax benefits, the highly negatively geared cash flow on new builds makes very little financial sense for most investors when compared to existing properties. I therefore suspect it's mostly uninformed new investors or those with very high income and or cash equity that would be interested in this type of property. Meanwhile, as stated in the article, other groups of investors continue to hold or improve their shares of the market. Investors who don't need loans for their next purchase and those who own 10 or more properties were buying proportionally more homes than in other times. As I mentioned earlier, this is often the stage of the property cycle where experienced investors become very active. In September last year, the percentage of cash investors who bought homes was 10% and this increased to 15% in the same month this year. Goodall said first home buyers and those with more than 10 properties seem to be holding on well, while those with a few, about three to five investment properties, seem to be struggling to get finance. Considering that less than 6% of investors own more than four properties, the number of investors in these categories are actually really small compared to the number of first home buyers in the market. 
Investor Toby York said that he's not surprised that the portion of purchases from finance-dependent investors was falling, as there have been a series of tax, legal and economic changes that have made investing in property more difficult. Despite being a larger investor, York said he was still reliant on finance to buy or build more homes. He thinks that even though new builds allow for deducting mortgage interest costs, the cost of new builds compared to the likely rental yield no longer stacks up, as I mentioned earlier. Professional investors or serious investors buy because of cash flow, not just for capital gain. Having cash flow enables investors to service debt and pay the bills. Relatively low rental yield compared to property prices and rent stalling in many areas could discourage new investors from buying their next property. First home buyer activity had also risen modestly to see them making 24% of purchases. In previous months, first home buyers made up 22% to 23% of all purchases. Goodall thinks that this buyer group seems to have adjusted their expectations but are emotionally driven so they're not too worried about falling prices. Movers make up to 27% of the purchases. A spokesperson from the Auckland Property Investors Association said she wasn't sure if the data showed mortgaged investors were struggling or if they were simply more reticent and discerning about what they bought. Second topic for this week in review from One Roof on the 19th of October, do Aucklanders drive up house prices in the regions? New data indicates that Aucklanders aren't really heading to the provinces in large numbers for affordable housing as some would believe. In fact, the number of Auckland buyers in the regions has fallen. Data produced by CoreLogic for One Roof revealed that the trend of Aucklanders moving to the provinces peaked in 2015 to 2016 and has since fallen, although there were a few bounces during the pandemic. To crunch the data, CoreLogic tracked sales in Auckland and purchases in the regions by movers, which it classified as a group. The group excluded first-home buyers and also multiple property owners. CoreLogic's head of research, Nick Goodall, said there's a missing detail from their data set. First-home buyers who rent in Auckland or other big cities and buy in smaller cities can't be tracked as a group, so they're not included in the statistics. Unlike movers, first-home buyers may not be entering the market with large chunks of capital compared to local buyers. The data they collected concentrated on Tauranga, which has always been an indicator of trends happening more widely. It also happens to be the number one destination for Aucklanders. The Tauranga figures were interesting. From October to December 2016, 31% of movers buying in Tauranga were from Auckland. From this point, the percentage fell before a rally during the pandemic. The peak for Aucklanders moving to Tauranga this year was from April to June at 22%, but this dropped to 17% from July to September. The data coincides with what Tremaine's Real Estate Tauranga Managing Director Anton Jones is seeing on the ground. Aucklanders aren't moving in the same large numbers to Tauranga as they did during the boom. CoreLogic found similar trends in the Waikato region, except for Hamilton. The peak of Auckland movers entering the Waikato region was from January to March 2015. This trended down over the next few years before hitting a trough of 15% in the first quarter of 2020, and that gradually lifted to 28% during the pandemic. Goodall says that the data is interesting as there's been a myth stating Aucklanders are driving prices in the regions. However, the evidence suggests otherwise. 
The belief comes from Aucklanders having more equity behind them due to higher property prices. When they move to the regions, they can therefore theoretically afford to pay more. Another factor driving the myth is that individual real estate agents in the regions have connections to Auckland, which sees them selling to a higher proportion than the average. Agents may also be selling properties that are more attractive to movers who are usually downsizing or are counting on larger profits by buying in a cheaper region. It's not just Aucklanders who are moving to the provinces. So are those from Wellington, Christchurch and Dunedin who are moving to smaller areas because they're more affordable. What Jones calls the halo effect pushes out from those smaller centres as well. Tauranga buyers who can't afford to buy in the Bay of Plenty City have been heading over the Kaimai Ranges to Maramata, Morrinsville, Patararu, Tokoroa, Tirao and so on. Although falling numbers of movers mean prices won't be going up, some buyers will be willing to pay more than the locals, especially if they come from more expensive cities. While individual examples exist, the belief that the Auckland factor is widespread is just more urban legend than reality. It's the same sort of thing that goes on when Aucklanders believe foreign buyers pushed house prices up. My thoughts are that since baby boomers started retiring in 2011 and 2012, and since it's common for people to downsize their homes for retirement, including many who want to retire to quieter areas than large cities, it'd be really interesting to overlap the age group of these movers with the data if it was possible, wouldn't it? If you want to learn more about investing in property, join me at one of our free Beginner's Guide to Property Investment events, available live online or in person. Check out propertyapprentice.co.nz for upcoming dates and register today. If you'd like to find out more about how we can help you to reach your financial goals, you can also book a no-obligation phone call or meeting with my husband Paul Roberts via the website also. So it's propertyapprentice.co.nz. Third topic for this week from New Zealand Herald on the 19th of October, home buyers potentially paying $500 more per week in interest repayments. Liam Patton, a first home buyer, paid over $1 million when he bought his three-bedroom Pakaranga home in July 2020, fixing his mortgage on a two-year 2.49% rate. However, when it comes to fix his home loan on new terms in August 2023, he's expecting to pay an additional $500 a week if the interest rates are 6% or above. He won't be alone, as many other homeowners will be facing rates just as high. Bruce Patton, loan market mortgage broker and Liam's dad, said the latest predictions are for major bank rates to potentially climb to 6.5% or 7%. I personally think they could even go a little bit higher than that if inflation isn't brought under control quickly. Banks are currently testing your affordability to pay a mortgage at about 8% interest rates. And the average interest rate for the 20-year period leading up to COVID is around 6.5%. So it is important to remember that although current interest rates seem really high, when you compare them to what we saw during the early stages of COVID when the OCR was slashed, they actually aren't that high when you compare them to the long-term average. Commentator Liam Dan said the Tuesday announcement regarding alarming inflation data means that the Reserve Bank will need to hike rates more aggressively. The latest consumer price index inflation for the year to September 2022 came in at 7.2%, 
which was a very slight drop from the previous quarter results of 7.3% and well above the expectations of around 6.5%. Rental prices, rising construction costs and local government rates were among the most relevant drivers pushing prices up last quarter. Infometrics economist Brad Olson agrees that the OCR will rise further. For first-time buyer Liam Patton, rate hikes will be massive but also manageable because he has options on how to deal with them. I highly recommend that you get in touch with a good mortgage advisor if you've got concerns about raising mortgage costs. If you don't have one or if you're ready for a change, get in touch with my team. Email office at miteam.co.nz or call 0800-88-2299. Harcourt St. Hallier's real estate owner, David Findlay, said that another group of people finding rising rates tougher are some investors buying new builds. These buyers were hoping to make capital gains, but now that the interest rates have risen so much, the purchases were no longer viable, and they were asking Findlay's team to help sell the homes. However, Findlay said there's no sign of more mortgagee sales taking place. CoreLogic's Calvin Davidson counted 28 mortgagee sales from May to July this year, which is far less than the 768 mortgagee sales that we saw during the same period in 2009 when we were hit by the global financial crisis. Tom Hartman from Sorted, the government's money education site, advised those in difficult financial situations to seek help in planning their budget. They should also talk to their mortgage advisor as soon as possible rather than trying to tough it out. Bruce Patton suggested that those in trouble could potentially choose to either extend their home loan term so that the weekly repayments are reduced, or they could choose to split their home loan up and fix it on different terms, for example, one year as well as three year terms. My thoughts are, if you're looking at investing in property, you should be focused on the fundamentals of investing, not on things that are outside of your control, such as tax benefits and capital gains. If you're purchasing properties that fit your financial position, as well as your long-term investment goals, and you've got a great team of professionals to help you through that journey, that really reduces the risk of you having to sell. Fourth topic for this week in review from RNZ on the 19th of October, labour market sets property downturn apart from the 2008 global financial crisis. A strong labour market is expected to keep property values from falling further. CoreLogic's quarter three property market and economic update revealed that strong employment would be the difference between a housing market correction and a more serious slump similar to the 2008 global financial crisis. CoreLogic Chief Property Economist Calvin Davidson said that despite further falls in property values in the coming months, there was a shift in the mood in the ground, which could help sow the seeds of a floor for property values as soon as next year. CoreLogic said that the total value of residential real estate had already fallen to $1.62 trillion at the end of September from $1.73 trillion at its early 2022 peak. However, household equity was high at 79%, with mortgages secured against 21% of the total value. Davidson explained that the economy is performing fairly well. A recession was avoided in the second quarter, and most indicators point to economic growth in the near term. However, he added that the annual inflation of 7.2% will urge the Reserve Bank of New Zealand to raise the official cash rate, as discussed previously. 
In addition, mortgage rates were yet to peak with ongoing global uncertainty, affecting wholesale funding costs and long-term fixed mortgages. Davidson observed that sales volumes have been weak in the past three months. Days to sell have also risen because vendors aren't being forced to sell and buyers are not in a rush because there's more housing stock available. He's expecting that the downturn in property values will continue in 2023, although he is optimistic that a floor for values will be established. A potential recovery might be possible in 2024, which would be a shorter recovery time frame compared to the global financial crisis. Looking ahead, 2022 and 2023 will likely remain challenging for the market. A number of factors restrain sales growth. The economy remains a little fragile. Net migration could stay subdued and credit conditions remain restricted. Time will tell. So this window of opportunity could be here for savvy buyers for a little while longer yet. And as long as they buy the right sort of property for their financial position, they'll reap the rewards over the long term. Last topic for this week in review from landlords.co.nz on the 19th of October, how costs compare between different landlords. The Property Investors Federation has laid out the costs of different kinds of rentals. I thought this was a particularly interesting article. There are people and organisations that would prefer rental properties to be in the hands of social landlords like Kayanga Ora or community housing providers rather than with private landlords or trusts, despite the fact that 87% of tenants in New Zealand rent from private landlords or trusts. The government has introduced tax changes to discourage private landlords from buying existing properties for rentals, which has in turn pushed up market rents and increased the demand for social housing. The waitlist for emergency housing has grown from 5,000 in 2017 to over 27,000 now. The government's also encouraging private rental property owners to provide their rental properties to social landlords for them to run as rentals if the properties meet certain criteria. The New Zealand Property Investor Federation said that the government did this by removing mortgage interest as a tax deduction for private rental property owners. If those owners agree to hand over their rentals to social landlords, they can keep the tax deduction. However, tenants pay cheaper rent to social landlords through government funding under the Income Related Rents Programme. This subsidy allows social housing providers to charge tenants just 25% of their income for rent, with the government topping this up to market rent level, which is paid directly to the social housing provider. The Federation contends that this keeps social housing providers' rents artificially cheap, and it also adds that who a tenant's landlord is shouldn't determine how much government assistance is given. To explain what happens, NZPIF set out the rent from three different landlords for three families in similar financial capacities. So we'll show you the table on the screen now for those of you that are, are watching on YouTube. In the example shown, the families are two parents and two children, with one parent working 40 hours a week on minimum wage, earning $848. The three landlords, so first up, Kayanga Ora, secondly, community housing with the property leased from a private owner, and thirdly, a private landlord who can't claim mortgage interest costs as an expense, are all providing similar homes in this example, valued at $895,000, with a market rent of $550 a week. And the table shows how costs are distributed under those various landlord groups over a year. 
Under Kayangaora, the government not only pays the higher income related rent or IRR subsidy, but it also supports Kayangaora for the losses it makes. This makes state rental property in this example the most expensive for taxpayers at $27,000 per year per property in this example. Kayanga Ora, and therefore the state, takes on the risk of interest rates and other cost increases. Charging a tenant less doesn't make the rental cheaper to provide, but it does mean that the cost has to be met elsewhere by us, the taxpayers. As shown by the examples, returning mortgage interest as a tax deductible expense for all rental property would be fair and encourage more rental properties to be provided for tenants, which in turn would likely reduce inflation with market rent, supply versus demand, you know, economics 101. The Federation's proposal to add long-term leases to the RTA or the Residential Tenancy Act would also provide security of tenure for all the tenants who wanted that. Those who want private rental providers to exit the market need to keep in mind that private landlords are in the best position to house tenants all over the country because not only are they the largest providers of rental accommodation, but they also provide good warm and dry properties as required by the healthy home standards and they're also the most cost effective option for the taxpayer. The recent changes to the Tenancy Act have also benefited tenants in many ways, offering far more protection from slumlords and rogue landlords, which in my opinion, despite the low numbers of bad landlords, this is a great thing for all of us. If you'd like to learn more, join me at one of our regular free training sessions, available either online or in person. Register online at propertyapprentice.co.nz and if you'd like to have a no obligation chat with my husband Paul to see how we could help you, you can also book a meeting or phone call with him via our website. So that website address again, propertyapprentice.co.nz. Look forward to seeing you soon.